Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 37, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all, in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the, to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and he sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of the heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, 
and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was taught talking, sorry, walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of the heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. There's a lot that went on in this chapter, and we're going to try to cover most of it, and you're going to see that tonight's lesson is about humility. This whole chapter covers God's humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar by causing him to live like an animal for seven periods of time, most likely seven years. That word translated time in our Bibles here in Daniel chapter 4, you'll find it also used in Daniel chapter 7. Go to Daniel chapter 7 and look at verse 25. We'll get to this later on and you'll be able to see clearly when we get to Daniel chapter 7. But look at verse 25. It says, He, speaking about the Antichrist, shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. For any of you who have been a part of our Revelation studies, you know we've looked at Daniel, we've looked at Revelation, and you've seen that that's a three and a half year period. Time, times, two, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. That's that same word that we see translated here in Daniel 4 that says for seven periods of time. So most likely it was seven years that he was caused to live like an animal. He lost his human sanity, if you will. He actually believed he was an animal, lived like an animal, ate grass, and lived out amongst the animals. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember from our study so far in our book, a study of the book of Daniel, he's already been introduced to the one true God a few times in our study. But even though he acknowledges that God exists, he still sees God as one of the many gods 
and himself on that same level. Go back with me to Daniel chapter 2 again. Look at verses 46 and 47. This is the words of Nebuchadnezzar. It says in verse 46, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell down upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for, you, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. So here he says, your God is a man, he's God of gods. But he still sees him as among the gods. Go to chapter 3, look at verses 14 and 15. Chapter 3, later on, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 14, answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Remember that from last week? We looked at this, and here it is. He said, yeah, you're God. He gave you the ability to interpret the dream. Man, your God's impressive. But he still sees Daniel's God as one of the many gods. And you're not going to bow down and worship the idol that I made and my gods. Who's the God to rescue you out of my hand? Real quick, let me remind you of what we looked at last week. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 43. You're going to see this is very important. You remember how I tried to help you see something that I had never seen before? How the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace was tied to Isaiah 43, where God has already said in verses 1 and 2, even though you go through the fire, I'll be with you. Look at verse 13, though. He's already just said in the previous verses that there are no other gods but him. God, Jehovah God says in verse 13, Also henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand, I work, and who can turn it back? Go back now to the end of chapter 4. And look at verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And, he, and Nebuchadnezzar says, He, God, Jehovah, does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? In other words, Nebuchadnezzar finally has come to realize there is only one God of gods. But he's already been introduced to him in chapter 2, and he says, yeah, your God's pretty impressive. He's able to help you interpret the dream. But he still sees Daniel's God among the many gods, even though there's only one. And he sees himself in, in, among that in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 again, verses 28 and 29. In chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. So again, he says he's pretty impressive, and there's not any other god I've ever found that could rescue like this, but he still sees God among the gods, and himself among the gods. Go to chapter 4, look at verses 28 through 30. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power uh, and as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? So how does he feel about himself? He sees himself up there with the gods. And he goes, I'm even willing to acknowledge that Daniel's God's a real God. Among the many gods, 
because he's pretty impressive. He was able to interpret the dream that the other guys weren't able to interpret. And he was able to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I tell you what, we'll let your God, Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be amongst our gods that we worship. And if anybody talks bad about your God, they're going to be in trouble. But he still hasn't acknowledged that there's only one God. You're going to see later on, this one God has also made very, very clear that there's only one way to be right with him. See, in our day to day, there are people that believe in many gods. But there's also a bunch of people that were willing to say there's only one God, but there's many ways to that God. Oh, and the God the Muslims worship is the same God the Christians worship and the same God the Jews worship. Actually, there's a movement about trying to get all the three religions together because in their mind, the reason that why there's so many wars on the earth is because of the Jews and Christians and Muslims and all this stuff. But if those guys would just realize they can all trace their lineage back to Abraham, we're all together. It's the same God. And folks, listen very, very carefully to me. There's only one God. And Allah is not God. Yes, Jehovah that the Jews worship is the same God, but that's the God who has always been. And he's explained to the Jews and to all the whole world, there's only one way to be right with him. And that is through Jesus Christ, who is God himself. Now, we'll get to that later on. I want to give you a verse to keep in mind. It's Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. You don't have to go there. I can quote it to you, and you can probably quote it back to me. But if you actually want to have a little bit of fun, just do a little cross-referencing in your Bible to see how many times and in how many different ways God says this exact same thing that you'll find in Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. By the way, that's not the only time God said it. And you're going to see a few tonight, but if you want to have some fun, you just do some cross-referencing on whoever humbles himself will be exalted, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. You'll be amazed at how many times that Jesus had to repeat that, how many times God had to keep saying that. Go to James chapter 4, verse 6, though. James chapter 4, verse 6. James says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, God, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Tonight's lesson in many different ways is going to be dealing with how God was able to humble Nebuchadnezzar. But we also need to keep in mind that same God is still alive and he's able to humble you and I. And what he's looking for is a people who are willing to say he's God. I'm not. He gets to call the shots. I don't. Folks. Would you not agree that the world has a sin problem that has traced all the way back from Adam and Eve? Remember Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan with this offer. You get to be like God. You get to choose right and wrong, good and evil. You get to call the shots. Would you not agree that the world pretty much is demonstrating that the world wants to be in charge? Be careful. Even though you and I, who are believers, have been forgiven of our sins and we've been sealed by the Spirit and we're guaranteed eternity, you and I have that same problem still. Even though we've been forgiven of our sins and sealed by the Spirit of God, you and I still have that same flesh. And it's manifesting itself even in Christian circles where Christians are trying to become God. Do we not fight with each other in our churches over which kind of music's the right kind of music and what's the wrong kind of music? Don't we fight with each other on how people should dress and how people shouldn't dress? 
Don't we fight with people over things we prefer and things we don't prefer? And we, without realizing it, oh, we have righteous indignation about what we think is right and wrong. Folks, you've got a problem that I've got and the world still has. Our flesh has not been saved yet. That's not until we get our new bodies. That's why Paul wrestled with his flesh, even though he knew he was saved. He said in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of flesh? Understand daily, you have to be willing to lay that desire to be God and in control on the altar. You're going to see this tonight as we take a look at our lesson. There are going to be some things that God's going to speak to you about specifically in your personal life right now. And you're going to see there are ways that your desire to still be in control will manifest it in ways you hadn't even thought about. So let's take a little minute and take a look at the fact that the Bible says that we are to be humbled and daily renewing our minds in this way. Um, I'm not going to take the time to, to do this. I put in my notes how at the end of the seven years, Nebuchadnezzar finally comes to realize that God, Jehovah, is the most high God, the king of heaven. No longer among the gods. He sees him now as, a, as the king of heaven and, the, and the, the, the most high God. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the only God still yet. I haven't really sensed that. But he definitely says he's the most high God. If you were to want to write this down and go look at it later on, you'll see in chapter 4, verse 2, it said, all right, let's do it. Go look at verse 2. It seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Look at verse 17. And again, it says, The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Go over to, to verse 24 in chapter 4. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High which has come to, upon my Lord the king. Look at verse 25. That you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And, to, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Look at verse 26. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Look at verses 31 and 32. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it's spoken. The, king is departed, the kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat the grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Look again at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all His works are right and His ways are just, and those who walk in pride He is able to humble. Let me say this to you one more time. Let me read this last verse to you. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all His works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Would you agree that that's true? Be careful. We would agree that it's true. But are you willing to receive it? You see what I'm saying? Let's be honest. All his ways are just. Have any of you, I don't want to show hands here because everybody would raise their hand if we're honest. Have any of you ever questioned anything he's ever done? 
Well, why would you ever question if you believe that everything he does is just and everything he does is right and true? But we all do, don't we? We've all wondered why God allowed so-and-so to die. Why did this sickness come? Why did this happen? Why didn't he get that job? All these types of things. And it's easy for us to say, yeah, that's right and true. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is just. And, and what's the second part? Anybody who walks in pride, he's able to humble. See, it's really easy for us to look at what God did to Nebuchadnezzar, that rascal. Um, we just read in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you know God's still in the process of getting all of us to acknowledge that He is Lord? You know, we love to quote how one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let me show you a Bible verse in 1 Peter chapter 4. And look at verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. And we'll go to verse 12. Go to verse 12, and we'll end up with verse 17. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ and are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be not ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Look at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Folks, you're going to see from tonight's study. We all would agree, and we know it's right, that God is the only God, and His ways are perfect and just, and He does nothing wrong. But we got a problem, and that problem is our flesh. And every morning we wake up, our flesh wants to get on the throne and be on, in charge of what happens in our life. And I still, myself, even though I've been walking with the Lord for many years, wrestle with this same issue. I worry that things might not go in my life the way I want them to. I worry that they might not go in my kids' lives the way I want them to. I, 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 I am concerned for churches that I work with around the country, and I, and I want to see it all go the way I want it to go. And I have to renew my mind and say, I'm to walk in obedience to Him and trust Him, and everything He does is right and just. And His ways are not always my ways. And my ways aren't His ways. And I have to renew my mind because if I don't, I will move into a realm of becoming prideful. And guess what? He's able to humble me and remind me of who is in charge. Go to James chapter 4. Look at verse 10. I have in my notes here, stay humble. And be satisfied with whatever role God has for you. And if you're to be elevated, let God do it. I'll say it to you again. Stay humble on a daily basis. Renew your mind and be satisfied with whatever role God has for you. And if you're to be elevated, let God do it. Look what it says in verse 10 of chapter 4, James. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Go to Luke 14. Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. 
Luke 14, verse 7, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you'll be, be, begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wait a minute, that sounds like Matthew 23, 12, doesn't it? Well, you're going to see it a lot more. Folks, you're going to hear a lot of preaching today in the Christian church, especially in America, about dreaming big things for God, doing great things for God. God's got great plans for your life, and you can achieve so much for Him. Be careful. That feeds the flesh. That feeds our desire. The Bible clearly says that the Christian should say, I'm willing to do whatever God has for me to do and nothing more. When they came to John the Baptist and they said, don't you realize that guy that you baptized there at the Jordan, all these people are going to him? John the Baptist's answer in John chapter 3 was, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. He must increase. I must decrease. My role was to prepare the way for him. Now that he's on the scene, I'm to disappear. When Samuel, the prophet Samuel, anointed David to be the next king of Israel, you don't really see much more of Samuel. He just quietly went off into the sunset. But God had used him mightily. All through the scriptures, you see this. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. None of you think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each of you with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. I'm not saying that God won't exalt you and have you climb the ladder, if you will, but let that be God's decision in His time, in His way, and you should just simply say, Lord, I'm willing to just do this if this is all you have for me to do. If there's more, you have it happen. I'm not going to go trying to knock those doors down and achieve great things for you because... In humbling myself to be willing to do whatever it is you ask me to do, I'll look more like Jesus. If I try to achieve more and do more than you have for me, I'll look like who? Satan, who was given a role, a beautiful role. He was a guardian cherub in heaven, yet he wasn't satisfied with the role God had for him. He wanted more. And unfortunately, our churches are filling up with preachers who will fill people's flesh with preaching that says, you can do great things for God. Be careful. It's not what the Bible teaches. Go to Luke 18. Look at Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and he treated others with contempt. Two men, Jesus said, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, the one that said, just prayed that prayer, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There it is again. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verses 5 through 11. First Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Have we seen that one before? James what? 4, verse 6. Word for word, there it is again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout all the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who is called to His, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go to Proverbs 29. Look at verse 23. Proverbs 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Folks, what God is looking for, and we're going to come back to Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you are going to say, what happened to Daniel? We're coming, we'll come back to it. Don't worry. What God is looking for is a people who will acknowledge that he alone is God. I didn't even take you to where it says in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and to him and through him and for him are all things. Let me say that last part again. For from him and to him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. By the way, does anybody know what is right after the verses 33 through 36 in chapter 11 of Romans? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, because everything's about him and he owes us nothing. Because it's all about him. Therefore, because of his mercies, because he's allowed us to be a part of what he's doing, even though it's all about him. Folks, would we not agree that for eternity, everyone, whether they're in heaven or in hell, will be worshiping and acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of the Father? But in an amazing way, even though it's all been created to, to display his glory to the heavenly realm and to the earthly realm, he's allowed us to be a part of it. And if we're willing to be pawns, if you will, in this life, if we're willing to let him just choose to do what he wants with our lives. The Bible says he determines when you're born and when you die. He determines where you'd be born, what time in the history of the world you would live. By the way, you don't believe me? Go look at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and following. You'll see that the scripture says he chose when you're going to be born, what time in history and where exactly you'd be born. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 25 that he's given some five talents, others two and another one, each according to their ability. God chooses our lot in life. He chooses our parents. He chooses chooses where we'd live. He chooses all of that. He does it so that we would come to know him and he orchestrates our lives in many ways so that we would come to realize that he alone is God. The problem is all of us from the time of Adam and Eve have been infected with this desire to be in charge and to be in control. And the reason we get mad, those of us who struggle with temper, thank God it's not me, but those of you that struggle with temper, I got other issues that I struggle with, but those of you that struggle with temper, the reason you get mad is because you don't have control. Some of us, this is one I'm in, struggle with worry and fear. By the way, you want to know why you struggle with worry and fear? Because you're not in control. You can trace all of our issues 
to that lack of control, and it manifests in different ways. But God has said, I want you to know that I'm good and loving and just, and I don't do things like you would. I want you to ask me for things, and many times I'll say yes, but sometimes I'll say no, and you've got to still trust me. I want you to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who can stand in front of the fire and say, God's able, but if he chooses not to, we trust him, and if he kills us, he's got a good plan in that. And if you are willing in this life to not live for self, but to humble yourself, and by the way, you will stand out in this world if you humble yourself and let others have their way. God says for eternity, he will exalt you. And as he's being glorified and worshiped, you'll be ruling and reigning with him for eternity. That's just hard for us to fathom. But don't try to get that glory here. Save it for the when the Lord chooses to do it. So let's look briefly now at Nebuchadnezzar's latest dream from God. How he went and forgot what God had done the last time. You remember when we started this book, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. Remember the dream he had of the image with the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver and so on? And what does he do when he has this dream? Who does he contact? Who does he consult to try to get wisdom about this dream? All of his wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, all those guys. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. Daniel 2, verses 1 and 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now, if you remember in that instance, he wouldn't even tell him what the dream was. He said, I want you to tell me what the dream is and the interpretation so I'll know you're not lying to me. But he calls in those guys. Were they able to give him an answer? Who was the only one who was able? Daniel, because of his God. Go to chapter 4 now. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Chapter 4, look at verses 3 through 9. Daniel chapter 4, verse 3. Sorry. We'll start in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. Why didn't he just call Daniel the first time? What's that? Go ahead. Yeah. The, 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 the short answer is, he did what we all do. Let me, let me just talk to you for a second. And this is one of the things I deal with when I travel around and try to help churches learn how to walk in the Spirit and biblically and actually listen from God and, and stop following how we've always done it. We all have a problem called a default mode. You all know what default mode is on your computer? It's when things go wrong, it just goes back to default mode. And it's the old way, old way, if you will. Nebuchadnezzar called all his wise men. They are unable to help. 
Daniel is used by God and he goes, wow, your God is the only one who can interpret dreams. But instead of calling Daniel first, I mean, he's speaking pretty wide, pretty good about Daniel here. You have the spirit of the holy gods in you and you're able to do this. Then why didn't you call me first? Why? Because I fell back into default mode. You know, one of the things I deal with a lot of times is we individually and churches will see God do something amazing and new and then... After a while, we just start falling back to how it used to be. How many times have you all ever heard, and I don't want to show hands, we just need to go back to the way it was done in the 50s? You ever heard that one? We just need to go back to how it was before. Go to Proverbs chapter 26. Look at verses 11 and 12. Proverbs 26, verses 11 and 12. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Folks, all through... Go ahead. No, I, I, with that, it, he's calling uh, Daniel the chief of the magicians. Yes. And he says he knows the spirit of the holy gods is in you and there is and he goes but before that to in chapter two he had said surely your god is the god of gods right so if he's calling all the magicians but he's the chief of the magicians in other words he was in charge of all of them so he's in charge so i guess my question is is if he already acknowledged him earlier that he was above these guys why is why is daniel still supposedly head of these godless magicians uh, the answer to that will be dealt with more later in our study of Daniel, because Daniel's not only in charge of all the magicians and the astrologers and all, you're going to see later on, I believe the Bible teaches us Daniel taught them the scriptures over time, which is pretty cool. He's the, well, the magi that show up, right, they were the magi of that, of that Daniel's era. The magi that come at the birth of Jesus can be traced back to the book of Daniel. And so when they come looking for the king who's been born king of the Jews... You can trace it back to Daniel's time. So part of why he's over the magicians is he's been given authority over them. But again, Nebuchadnezzar still sees these guys as somehow valuable and helpful. Remember, he believes in many gods. So if there's some guy that does voodoo and another one that does enchanting and another one that does Buddhism, or you know what I'm saying? I'm throwing this stuff out to be silly in that sense. But what I'm saying is, is because he still believes in many gods, he's going to cover all his bases. Even though, even though he's been proven that this one's pretty impressive, he's able to interpret the dream when the other ones weren't, he still gives these other guys a chance. Listen closely, folks. When you keep falling back to your own wisdom, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. The Bible's very, very clear that we are, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, never to lean on our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct our paths. Pretty clear, isn't it? Let me ask you a question, no show of hands. How many of you, every single time you run into a situation, immediately say, the Lord's got a plan, I trust Him, we don't even have to worry about what we think is best, He'll show us what to do. Or do we automatically fall back into default mode where we start doing the math, trying to figure out how we're going to fix it, what we even try to do what we did last time. Folks, I just finished preaching this past weekend in Fort Walton Beach at a church out there in Fort Walton Beach and walking them through something. And unfortunately, they're going into default mode a little bit. And I've been working with them for years. And so I had to come back and give them a little loving slap. But at the same time, I showed them from Deuteronomy chapter 8 
that God told the nation of Israel, I led you in the wilderness. I made you hungry. I made you thirsty. I did it to do you good in the end. But listen, he said, my solution to the problem that I gave you and put you into was something you'd never seen before, nor had your fathers ever seen it before. And then he says it again in verse 16 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. I led you through the fiery serp- wilderness where there were fiery serpents, and I provided you with manna which you had never seen before. In other words, he said, my solution to your problem was something you'd never seen before. And I didn't quote the rest of the verse. Let me quote it the rest of the verse. I fed you with manna which you had never seen before, that you may know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Folks, would you not agree that we're never to lean on our own understanding? We're always to acknowledge him and to trust him, but we don't do it. We can look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, what did he call those guys for? It already didn't work last time. Well, why did you fall back into human wisdom? Why did your church pull out the calculator when the latest problem of finances came up and try to figure out how we can afford this and how can we do this? Because we all have a problem. It's called our flesh. And we want to be in charge. And we want to determine right and wrong. And that's why we have to learn how to daily renew our minds Lay our flesh on the altar. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship, your reasonable service. But in doing so, you'll then be able to know his good, pleasing, perfect will. You want to know the will of God? You've got to lay your will down and he'll show you. Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream of a large tree that is a blessing to a lot of birds and animals. And then a holy one, a watcher comes and proclaims that the tree is to be chopped down but the stump is left banded with a band of iron and bronze. Now this holy one, this watcher, most likely is an angel this time, not Jesus like we saw last week who came into the fire with them. A watcher shows us that most likely it's an angel whom God uses to judge. If you go back and look at the scriptures, you'll see all through scripture, God uses angels to bring judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, he had a couple angels come and get Lot and his family out before they bombed him with fire and brimstone. Revelation 16, you see that as well. And again, Nebuchadnezzar is told that the dream refers to him and his kingdom as he's told that he is the tree that will be chopped down and he's the one specifically that will be made to live like an animal until seven years pass. And he finally acknowledges that the Most High rules over the affairs of men and that he, God alone, is in control. Now all this happened, by the way, and God kept his kingdom for him. And after the seven years of living like an animal, his sense was restored and he was a new man ready to worship the true king of kings. We've already looked at that in Daniel 4, verses 34 through 37. But I want you to look at Daniel 4, verse 27. Notice also that Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that perhaps God will not bring this judgment if he'll humble himself and do right. Look at verse 27. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. By practicing righteousness in your iniquities, by showing mercy to the oppressed, and that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. In other words, here's the judgment of God, but God is merciful. If you'll humble yourself, He may may stay the judgment. Now, this has always been a hard thing for people. When God sent uh, Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, So many days and 40 days and then there'll be a judgment and you'll be destroyed. The people repented and God didn't do it. Did God change his mind? No, God doesn't ever change his mind. 
Well, it sure looks like he changed his mind. No, how many of you as parents had already decided that you're gonna bring a threat of judgment, but you've already have in your mind that if they respond appropriately, you're not gonna bring it. If you don't get right, I'm gonna, boom, whatever it is the judgment is. And if they respond, you say, okay, it's been stayed. The, the, the threat, the warning from, from Jonah accomplished God's purpose in that instance, and he relented, if you will. That's what the scripture says. But we're not gonna take the time to turn there but if you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 through 23, you'll notice that Dan, David has committed sin with Bathsheba. And she's gotten pregnant. And then he kills the husband to try to cover up the sin. And God comes through the prophet Nathan and says, you're forgiven of your sin. But the judgment that I've decided is that um, the child's going to die. What does David do? Does anybody remember what David did? He didn't eat. He didn't bathe. And he began to just beg God to change his mind. He begged God to say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to bring that judgment. And he is begging. He's fasting. He's not bathing. He's crying out to God. And he hears his servants whispering in the hall. And he realizes the child's died. He says to him, he says, did the child die? And they said, yeah. He said, okay, then fix me a bath and... Make me something to eat. And they're like, we don't understand. We, we thought that once you found out the child was dead, you would flip out because you've been acting kind of nuts already while you've been praying that the child would live. But now that you've heard that the child's dead, you want to have a bath and you want to have a meal? And he says a wonderful thing. He said, uh, he can never come to me, but I'm going to go to him. Listen closely, though. David did what we would say are all the right things. Did he not? He humbled himself, he repented, he cried out to God, he fasted, he prayed, and God's answer was still no. Look at David's response, okay? And you go back and read that passage, you'll see David said, I prayed and begged God, perhaps he might, but he's chosen not to. He's God. Let me show you the exact same response. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you know anything about uh, Samuel the prophet and the first time he hears God speak, some of you may not know this, but the first time that the Samuel prophet ever hears God speak besides Samuel, Samuel, and he keeps thinking it's Eli, the first time he's ever given a word from the Lord to share, it is a hard, hard word. He's supposed to go tell the guy that's been raising him in the temple, Eli, that God's going to kill both of his sons and him because of their sin. 1 Samuel chapter 3, look at verses 15 through 18. So Samuel lay in the mo until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Remember, Samuel's a little boy at this time. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here am I. And, and Eli said, what was it that he told you? What did God tell you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Eli even senses it's not a good thing. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And, 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 what he, and he said, Eli says, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. That is a humble response. There's nothing wrong with begging God and seeking God. But when God says no, he gets to still be God. 
There's a lot of people that have walked away from the faith because they begged God and he didn't do it the way they wanted him to do it. Well, they weren't humble then. You were willing to pretend to be humble in order to dance, to make God dance for you. But the moment God says, I'm God and I get to do whatever I want and who gets to stay my hand and say, why have you done this? Have you noticed that through all our passages? The moment God gets to say, I get to do things how I will, and you're not in control, when you walk away, your faith's not in God. You want to be God. Go to Habakkuk chapter 3. As you're turning to Habakkuk, let me just set up. Habakkuk cries out to God and says, God, I don't think you're paying attention. The righteous are suffering, the wicked are prospering, and and things are getting pretty bad, and I'd sure like you to know what's going on. God says to him, actually, I do know what's going on, and I'm going to bring a judgment on Israel because of their wickedness, and I'm going to bring the Babylonians down, and they're going to take Israel captive. Habakkuk pretty much says in the next chapter, well, how can you justify that? I just said the righteous are suffering, the wicked are prospering, and your response is to have a more wicked nation than us, Babylon, prosper by taking us captive, and the righteous in Israel suffer more by being taken captive. And God says, don't worry. I will deal with Babylon one day. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Habakkuk's final response when he hears that God's going to do this and he can't stop it, and one day Babylon will get theirs, I hear, Habakkuk says, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, or the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is the Lord. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk says, he's God and I'm not. And I'm going to have to live through this judgment that's coming on Israel because of their wickedness. Even though I'm a righteous individual, I'm going to be kind of caught up in this. But you know what? I'll wait because he's good and I'll trust him. Folks, that's the proper attitude. Look at Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making, or your work has no handles? Let me read it to you again. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making, or your work has no handles? In other words, can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? Folks, we know the right answer. Who's God? God. Are you and I God? Do we want to be God? Yeah, we kind of do. We kind of do. But we have to lay that on the altar every day. We have to daily renew our minds. And say, Lord, you're in charge today. And folks, let me tell you, God glorifies and honors those who humble themselves and say, you're in charge and I'm not. You're God and I'm not. And I'll wait patiently. Job even came to the point that he said, even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. Did Job understand why all that stuff was happening? No. 
but he had a faith that said God's still God. And folks, in this world today, the world needs to see that kind of faith. Men and women who are going to be going through the same stuff, getting COVID just like everybody else. You're not protected because you're a Christian. Listen closely. The world needs to see people that say he's still on his throne. He's still in control. He's already proven he loves me by sending his son to die for my sins before I even knew him. While I was his enemy, he paid for my sins. He sought me out by his spirit. He revealed himself to me. He opened my eyes to his truth and I've responded. Everything else is gravy. I, not, there's the, I got a prayer list. He tells me to ask him for stuff. But if he chooses to say no, that's best. Because everything he has for me is good. But unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar does not repent. So the stated judgment came. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? Beware of pride and humble yourself. That's it. Submit to God and his plan. His plan for making you right and righteous in his sight. Listen to Jeremiah. Go, go. People always think that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. The gospel of faith through God's provision for your sin and knowing God personally has been there in the Old Testament and the New. Listen to Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What is he delighting in? People that aren't resting in their own power, their own wisdom, their own might, but they know him and they humble themselves that he's, he's God. Years ago, a preacher I love to quote from, Vance Havner, who's been with the Lord for many years now, but he preached for 70-something years. And near the end of his life, actually a few years before he died, his wife of many years passed away on a Saturday night at 2 in the morning. And he preached that Sunday morning. Actually, so when I say Saturday night at two in the morning, it was actually Sunday morning that she died. And he's a traveling preacher, and everybody knew that his wife had just passed away that morning, and he walked into the pulpit, and they said, we didn't expect to see you this morning. And he preached from Matthew chapter 11, the forgotten beatitude we talked about last time, blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. And he said this in the pulpit that Sunday morning. He said, if my faith doesn't work at a time like this, it's no good. If I can't stand here when my wife has passed away this morning and tell you that God is good and that he loves you and he's taking care of you. If it doesn't work now, it's not real. And folks, I just want to throw that out to you. Is your faith in him because he's been good to you and he's doing it the way you want? If he chooses to do things how you don't want, is he still God? That's how you'll know that your faith is genuine. Remember last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Verse 6 says, these trials have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory to the Lord. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. What name is that? Jesus. There's only one way to God, and that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. There's only one God, and there's only one way to God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except 
through me. Back in Nebuchadnezzar's day, he was willing to say that your God's a really powerful God. He can interpret dreams and he can rescue you from the fire. And nobody better talk bad about your God. But I still see him as one of the many gods. And God says, let me introduce you to myself. I'm the only God. And you even think you're one of us when there's no us. And I'm able to remind you that I'll make you live like an animal for seven years. And he did. Until you come to realize that I am the only God. We're to daily live for him and his plans, not ours. Are we allowed to have plans and dreams and wishes? Yes, definitely. A lot of those come from him. But one of the ways you'll know that it's from him is if you give it to him and say, if it comes back, it's from you. If you say no and it doesn't come back, then I'm okay with it. Because everything you have for me is best, even a time of suffering. Let me give you a verse. We'll close with this verse tonight. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And was raised. Let me read it to you one more time. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Over the years, as I travel around and I deal with churches, one of the things I look for and I ask pastors about, I ask church leadership about is, do you have a family or an individual in this church that tries to control this church, tries to run the church? And unfortunately, in just about every single one, the answer is yes. Let me just say this to you who are listening, those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online, don't be that family or that person. Because the moment you think that it's your job to run things in God's church, remember that verse? The end of our section, go Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar puts it this way. Learn from Neb. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.